Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. The rent is too damn hot, a profane that we heard maybe 10 years ago. And on today's Dover Download podcast, we're going to explore if that's true or not in 2023. We're joined today by Planning Director Donna Benton and Housing Navigator Ryan Pope. Welcome, both of you. Good morning. So, Ryan, you are new to the organization. Donna's an old hand, (laughs) so we don't need her to introduce ourselves. But, Ryan, if you could let the listener know a little bit about yourself, a little bit uh, about the role you have here with the city, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, I am Ryan. I am tasked largely... Uh, with assessing uh, the housing needs of the city of Dover and looking for a way to make the rent less damn high uh, and uh, property ownership more of a realizable dream for the citizens of the city. So Donna, what what uh, precipitated bringing Ryan on board? How did that happen? So the Invest in New Hampshire program um, came about and one of the opportunities was for communities to, or a group of communities to hire a housing navigator. So Dover went ahead and applied for that and um, was fortunate enough to receive one of the housing navigator opportunities. I think there are five in the state right now. And we put that up for hire, I think, in October and took our time to find the right candidate. And I think we did in Ryan. I think he might be our secret weapon of trying to figure out um, some solutions, obviously not solve the housing crisis, but certainly help find some solutions here in Dover, Um, whether it's reviewing our regulations, um, working with the consultant on redeveloping some regulations, um, forming a housing committee, trying to figure out a dashboard. So we have several ideas for him. So Ryan, what's your background and what led you to want to apply to be the housing navigator here? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have no formal uh, education in government or civil service. Uh, My background is largely in uh, financial services and banking. Uh, So I've run the gamut in retail banking, commercial lending, residential lending, consumer underwriting, Um, in and around the banking world, as well as did some legislative advocacy with the Bankers Association. That was what I did during the day. By night, I uh, was a housing advocate, um, largely for um, people who require deeply affordable rents, uh, people coming out of homelessness uh, through the organization Fairtide. I've been on their board for about seven years now. And through the Workforce Housing Coalition, I've been on their board for about two years now. So I had a lot of experience outside of finance, working with folks and legislators and communities to try to advocate for uh, more inclusive housing options. I liked that a lot more than I liked working in the financial world. So when opportunities like the Housing Navigator came up, it seemed like something that even though I didn't feel entirely, you know, qualified for from a formal standpoint, should at least throw my hat in and see uh, if that was something that that could be done. I think that Donna's right. I think we did hire the right person. And I think part of that is because of your financial background. Because in my mind, Donna's heard me say this, and I think the listeners have too, a couple times, that there are, are five real factors that that create the housing costs that go into what rent or for sale prices are. And three of them really come down to the financing aspect, the land, labor, and lumber costs. Looking at those being able to creatively finance or figure out the the financial impact, the legislative part, which is the, the fifth L, is something 
we as a community really can invest in. But the the lending, land, labor, and lumber are, are variables that we can't control as much. So I think your financial background helps us understand, even if we can't control it, at least understand and look at ways to leverage a lot of L's in this conversation, <laughs> uh, leverage the legislative side. So I think it's a perfect match for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I've realized in my time as in banking is that the market can only do so much uh, in and of itself. And developers can't develop affordable housing a lot of times because it's simply not profitable. Mm -hmm. um, or they haven't figured out how to make it work from a financial standpoint to make it sustainable in the long run. So public-private partnerships obviously going to be helpful in the long run. Um, one thing that I have been working on is meeting with the local community banks to talk about creative financing options for ADUs specifically. Mm. Uh, those are a nightmare to finance using conventional financing models. So I've been able to lean into my history with the banking association and the fact that I know most of them already, as well as talk about the goals of this role and try to think creatively to figure out if there are alternate models uh, that we can trial at least locally to make at least put a dent in the ADU piece. So Donna, can you walk the listener through what an ADU is? Yes. So an ADU stands for Accessory Dwelling Unit. A lot of people might refer to them as an in-law apartment. And it's essentially a second unit or an extra unit um, that has to meet certain criteria. So it has to be between 300 and 800 square feet. It has to share the same utilities as the principal dwelling. Um, one of the units, whether it's the principal or the ADU, needs to be owner-occupied. So it's truly a, a second accessory unit rather than a formal duplex. So it's dependent on the principal. Exactly. And in Dover, it's unique because we actually allow most properties to have a second accessory dwelling unit, most single-family homes to have a second accessory dwelling unit if the second one has a restriction to keep the HUD fair market rates. And that's a tool we've used in a couple different instances, the HUD fair market rate. How familiar were you with that that level of uh, rental, Ryan? Oh, I'm very familiar with uh, HUD fair market rate and how low they set it at. Um, it's not even close to, to market rate these days, which is that, again- Is uh, that a good thing or um, a prohibitive thing? I think it's a good thing because I think that market rent is unreasonably high, um, but there are a lot of factors behind that. That said, I think the fair market rate is a great- tool to use because it is much more affordable for people in and around the area in the general workforce. Even people making up to 100, 120% uh, area mean income, that's really even in excess of what HUD determines as affordable, which is 30% of uh, one's income. What's curious to me is the interest rates have gone up over the past six months. And what I see is that it's that's discouraging existing homes come back on the market because, for instance, in, in my case, I have a, a 237 interest rate. I'm not going to sell my house no. unless I'm moving, really, because you know that, that rate is such a, a great rate compared to what I would get in a new situation. So it's deterring me from selling my house. And I've got to think that that is really limiting the, um, the pool of available housing. Are we seeing similar on the new construction side? Uh, yeah, I would say on the new construction side, that is still very much at play uh, between the rise in interest rates, the rise in the cost of materials and labor. It is becoming increasingly difficult to make these things happen and to even just add new units by and large, uh, unless they are, you know, really expensive. Um, those million dollar condos, things that you're seeing pop up in and around the seacoast area. 
So that must put more pressure on the rental market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, rent vacancies are under, they're definitely under 1% now, um, which is wild. Uh, on the underwriting side, we used to budget in for 5% uh, vacancies. I don't know if they's, they've amended their underwriting criteria to match. I, I would think not because they tend to be pretty conservative. But it is pretty wild, the fact that apartments, as soon as they're listed, are filled and have waiting lists on them. And Donna, do you know if we're still seeing people overbid on houses or has that gone away? So my most recent figure I've heard is that the average offer is about 12000 over asking. But it, I think just in my own experience, it seems that people are still overbidding on homes that are on the market. Yeah, that, that's been my experience, too, is that you you hear it's, it's fluctuated a bit, but not to the degree one might have expected. Right. You mentioned earlier that part of what Ryan's going to be doing is working with other stakeholders to look at housing opportunity here in Dover. Who are some of those stakeholders that we should expect him to to chat with? Obviously, the, the banking world, he, he mentioned that already, <laughs> but uh, who else would, would those stakeholders exhibit? Yeah, so he's already met with the Dover Housing Authority Executive Director. He's already met with the Director of Welfare, and then he's looking to um, set up a housing c- committee and on that committee, we would make sure we have a renter, a homeowner, people in the banking industry, as well as um, the executive director for the Dover Housing, a member of CAP or someone from that can represent CAP. So trying to bring that diverse group of people together that are all interested in housing. Yeah, the, I was just going to add to that. The goal is to bring as many stakeholders, as many voices to the table so that we're all moving forward um, with the same goal in mind. So we want residents, we want business people, we want community members, obviously members of the council, planning board. But yeah, the goal is to assess the problem together and then think of creative solutions to move forward with and see where that takes us. You know, we talk a lot here in the the community or at least in the municipal corporation about strategic planning and about thinking long-term and not rushing things, doing things with a purpose and a mission. On the one hand, I've got to think, Donna, that part of Ryan's role is to help us think long term and to not expect a silver bullet to solve the problem tomorrow. Right. On the other hand, I, I've got to think the two of you are going to be under a lot of pressure to come up with ideas pretty quick, that it, it can't be two years from now we're still thinking about this. Right. I think it's both figuring out short term goals and how to set us up for longer ter- term goals. So whether it's um, like a housing plan or kind of just working with the vision chapter and the master plan to figure out what can we put in place for tools, whether it's regulations, um, figuring out funding mechanisms that then we can use for years to come. So Ryan, what sort of resources are you looking to uh, review or to get to know better in your uh, first couple months? (laughs) Um, I've been reading. Being generous. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, I've been reading the land use regulations. I've been reading our zoning ordinances. asking questions here and there. Poor Donna. I'm in her office all the time asking random things just to try to get a handle on the city itself, what we're doing well, which we're ahead of the curve in a lot of ways in the state, as well as kind of where opportunities might be to, to tweak language or things like that. So when we do get our housing committee up and launched, um, when we are having these community discussions someday, I can at least move forward with, with at least some ideas to bring to the table and help guide the conversation. Well, one of the things that I think you'll find here is that we're not a community that says, wouldn't it be nice? We're a community that actually does those things that we say would be nice. So, you know, an example is Donna applying for this grant of, 
you know, we should solve this problem. Someday we will. <laughs> Instead, it was, here's an opportunity to find a, a grant to help us try to solve the problem and recognizing, thinking out of the box by bringing in someone who is not a home builder, someone that isn't a 30-year planner that has, well, this is what worked. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the opportunity here is to, to take a fresh look. And I like the fact that you're not homegrown, so you can come in and you can say, why does the reg say this? And I'll say, no, 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 I'm right there. <laughs> As Donna has probably told you, I'm a big fan of the idea that regs are meant to be rewritten. Yep. And I look forward to seeing what you come back with and say, scratch, scratch, scratch. And, and you and the stakeholder group come forward with some innovative and forward-thinking regulations that I can then be the grumpy old man and say, no, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> so, Donna, how are you integrating... Ryan into the rest of the team? Is is he uh, working alongside and reviewing plans? How does that work? Yes. Yeah, so we are trying to make sure that he understands the planning process. So last week he sat in on a technical review committee meeting, which also happened to have um, some housing projects or subdivisions going forward. So that was nice for him to see all those um, internal key players and the conversations that we have and um, how close-knit that staff from different departments actually talk to each other in Dover. And then also working heavily with our outreach coordinator, Aaron, on um, promoting opportunities that Dover already has that might not be well promoted. You know, someone might not understand the zoning ordinance or where to look in the zoning ordinance to figure out what they can do with their property. So that's been nice to have him working on that and working with the team, working with the zoning administrator to see what's allowed options for the future. Yeah, I think one of the opportunities here is exactly that, to know the the program, know the... um or have this idea that those of us that are close to things might not see them as unique or be promoting them. Mm-hmm. And so having Ryan promote what we already do and make sure people are educated about that is a, a positive, that's a short-term step, right? Right, yep. So as we wrap up here, how can people get involved? How can people that have ideas or want to be part of the, the problem-solving reach out to Ryan and, and help with that process? I would say certainly feel free to call the office, stop in the office, or email Ryan. He's happy to meet with everyone. He's very well connected and um, served as a great resource and understands what resources to use to help figure out the answers to some of these questions. Ryan, you want to give out your personal cell phone and your address? So- <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on the personal cell phone, but uh, uh, yeah, I work right in the uh, planning community development department. Um, feel free to stop on by and ask for me. Uh, You can also shoot me an email at r.pope at dover.nh.gov. That's probably an easy way to get a hold of me. Great. As we uh, end podcast, uh, we like to ask the guests to name two or three things that you think make Dover unique, and that could be a person, place, thing, idea, et cetera. I recognize you have not been part of the the organization for long, but what attracted you to come here might be the, the way to frame that if you have some thoughts on how you'd answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in Hampton now, but previous to that, I actually lived in Dover for the better part of 10 or 12 years. So I'm very familiar with the community. There's a lot of new buildings since I moved away six or seven years ago. Um, so I'm relearning the landscape, but I've been excited to at least get back into my old food habits. Uh, Oriental Delight is incredible, <laughs> uh, as well as Wing Night at uh, the Brick. So those were two easy ways, easy reasons to come back. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate, Donna, that you took the initiative and, and found this grant and reached out for it. 
And Ryan, I'm glad to hear that you were so interested that even though you felt that it wasn't uh, a, a natural fit, that it's a great fit. And I look forward to the work that you both produce and how we can uh, make the rent too damn low. <laughs> I'm down for that. Let's solve this thing. Thanks and have a great day. You too. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. This week, we continue our look back 100 years to 1923, the year Dover was celebrating its 300th anniversary. As we celebrate our 400th anniversary this year, we'll continue to revisit Dover 100 years ago for This Week in Dover History through July 4th. We recently told you about Dover caterer Roscoe Simpson, well known in 1923 for his famous clam bakes. We mentioned that his busy summer schedule included an upcoming event at Three Rivers Farm in Dover. We thought we'd take a look at that special event. On a beautiful Sunday afternoon, June 25, 1923, Mr. E.W. Rollins hosted the annual gathering of New Hampshire members of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at his spacious estate at Three Rivers Farm. It was said to be an event of monumental scale, with 48 alumni and 86 invited guests, the largest gathering of MIT members in New Hampshire history. The day's festivities began that noon with a friendly and amusing baseball game. It wasn't an ordinary baseball game, though. It featured an oversized ball, three times the size of a regulation ball, soft to the touch to prevent injury, and making for quite a spectacle as it was knocked around the field, colliding with players and spectators alike. After the game, the guests retreated to the comfort of Mr. Rollins' spacious mansion. Here, amidst jovial conversations and hearty laughter, it was said old friendships were rekindled and new ones were born. Soon, the guests formed a procession to a nearby grove for the main event, a delightful feast. The cuisine, of course, was the handiwork of Roscoe Simpson, renowned for his old-fashioned clam bakes. The menu consisted of fish chowder, steamed clams, lobsters, accompanied by bread, cake, ice cream, fruit punch, and coffee. Amidst this gastronomic experience, a group photo was taken to capture the memorable gathering by Dover photographer Frank Burgess. After the meal, there were speeches by esteemed guests, including Chief Justice John Cavell, Mr. John R. Freeman from the MIT Board of Trustees, and President of New Hampshire University, Mr. R. D. Hetzel, among others. The speeches expressed unwavering loyalty to MIT and profound appreciation for their generous host, Mr. Rollins. Absent from this illustrious gathering was the mayor of Dover, Charles Waldron, who usually welcomed guests to Dover. Unfortunately, Mayor Waldron had been assaulted the night before and had to send his regrets. The day came to a close with the guests gradually making their way back home, each bidding their affable host, Mr. Rollins, a hearty goodbye and expressing their eagerness for future such gatherings. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.